So hello and welcome to the Still We Rise podcast brought to you by the Coventry Asylum and Refugee Action Group. You're joining us in the midst of Refugee Week 2020. You can follow events here in Coventry on hashtag Coventry Welcomes 2020. So the theme for Refugee Week this year is Imagine. Here at Carrick we'll be exploring what is actually government policy where if you're an asylum seeker you're entitled to five pounds and 39 pence a day to live on so our theme is imagine living on five pounds and 39 pence a day so i'm joined here today by three of our members at carrick ellis welcome hello how are you thank you for having me thank you welcome moses welcome to you thank you very much for having me here and david welcome to you Thank you for having me here. Great. So let's jump straight into it. So you arrive in Britain and you're here to come and seek protection in this country of Magna Carta and a bastion of human rights. And so Ellis, you 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 arrive and you claim asylum and then you you're told that you don't have the right to work and that you're a person who is liable to be detained but will have to stay at a specific address. And then you're told that you only get £5.39 pence a day. What does that feel like? It is um, a difficult situation, you know. Um, when you are told to survive on £5.39 a day, Sometimes it feels as if you're being supported, but in reality, it disenfranchises you and it sort of dehumanizes you. You are not aware of it initially, but as time progresses, you start noticing that um, it's not adequate provision. Right. You look at it in terms of, for example, if you intend to travel on that particular day. A travel pass costs four pounds. Yeah. Supposing you use that. So you're left with one pound thirty-nine for that day. What can one do with one pound thirty-nine? But this is just an example, because there will be moments where, in my experience, I purchase I needed items of clothing. For that week, I sacrificed to buy clothes because I I needed some clothes, I needed some shoes. Mm. From then on, I had to struggle because I, I had not enough to eat. But in its... How best do I put this? It is difficult. It is a difficult situation. It's just not enough. However, if the government were to give people the right to be able to support themselves, like the right to work, Mm-hmm. It will make the situation much worse, M- much better. Sorry. Right. It is much worse to be given that five pound thirty nine and not being allowed to work. Yeah. You are, you, you become isolated. Yeah. And there's that uh, anxiety because you are thinking, what will happen in the future? I think. Yeah, I mean that's that's. I mean it's it sounds like a really really difficult set of circumstances so for you for you Moses arriving from from Uganda and being in a new country where um, you're seeking protection and you get here and 
this is the amount that you have to live on. But what are your reflections on that? <laughs> you know, it's not something you can laugh about, but when you feel it at the first instance, when you start to use it, the five pound thirty nine pence, you immediately realize that somebody somewhere must be laughing at who has come into this country to face this mm. because it is not that you can use. It is that which is given for you to try out and let the government to see whether you can survive or no, whether you can take their roots where they want to push you to that little belittling jobs that you can do around the communities that mm. some other people are taking advantage of you. That is what £5.39 a day means. Right, so it leaves you open to... You become extremely, extremely vulnerable and open to exploitation. Exactly, that is what £5.39 a day means. Because every single day you realize that before they even this i don't know particularly for myself i do not know who came up with that and what was their calculation because mm. this money is given on one single level basis doesn't matter whether you're ill you're sick you're broken you are what your lifestyle is all about it doesn't matter is five pound and 39 pence. What about if I have to go to the doctor three times a time a day? Yeah. What about if I have to go to the doctor four times a month to get my injection for my mental health? It's not calculated into that. My transport is not calculated into that. Yeah, it seems that like is a, money for food. It seems like a, a very, very harsh system. So um, Ellis, talk talk to us about the fact that this money is put on on a debit card, which um, you, is restricted to particular supermarkets. Um, so the c criteria is that, in my experience, the money is deposited mainly on a Monday. Money comes in. The problem with the card is that it only works by you using it in particular supermarkets and certain outlets. You cannot withdraw money from it to be able to use for certain things that are not necessarily available in a supermarket. Mm -hmm. So you are restricted to use in those areas. So what you'll find is you can't access things that you require, things that you gen genuinely need. And so, for example, if you if you wanted to go to a market, of course, to go and buy buy vegetables, which you perhaps may be used to using in your own country, and meat is so expensive in the marketplace, you know, in the supermarket, mm -hmm. meat is so expensive, you know, there are things you could actually buy cheaper from outside, yeah. But because of the restrictive nature of the card being used in those particular outlets outlets you can't actually get what you require. 
So sometimes you just have to do with all the things that you need. Like for myself, you know, there's staples I will require which are not available in supermarkets. Yeah. The dietary need that I will, I will want, but I can't find that in a, in a supermarket or wherever the card can be used. So you're left with no option. Right, okay. And David, let me bring you into the conversation. So what, what is your, what's your experience of, of the asylum system? How have, you found, how have you found the process of claiming asylum in the country? And what are your reflections on it? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I claimed asylum about seven to eight years ago. And uh, at the beginning, as soon as I claimed asylum, I had the, they didn't take out my working rights so I could, I could work my normal working hours. So as my claim is uh, deteriorating, so, so after like two years time, my case is completely in a very bad situation. So they took my working rights. Okay. And then, you know, I was, I was homeless because I was helping myself before. Right. And so I had to become homeless. Then I, I, I lived, I used to live in friends' houses initially. Okay. Mm. And then it got worse. And... Uh, because you know like you're living in a friend's house mm -hmm. and you can't live there for a long time because they have their own things going on in within their families right so having a stranger in a in a in your own house it doesn't really you know uh, it doesn't really adapt to their you know the the way of their living or their yeah. budgets maybe mm -hmm. and their the living expenses mm -hmm. so then I had to contact all the uh, the charities and mm -hmm. things like this to mm -hmm. get help. Yeah. And I had to call. The, I I went to Red Cross mm -hmm. and I went to uh, uh, Samaritans yeah. and 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 uh, and Salvation Army. Mm -hmm. And but somehow, after a few years time, so I I got I got help from uh, Red Cross. Okay. Yeah. And all the while, whilst you're you're in the in the system and making this this asylum application, did you did you have access to to legal advice, or were you expected to pay for it? Because you say that you were you were allowed to work at some point. Yeah, that's the thing. Because because I previously worked. Yeah. When I applied for a legal aid, they said you you've been working before, so you're not entitled to it. Okay. So. Then I left with no any legal representative, mm -hmm. but you know these organizations I mentioned before they helped me yeah. with my legal representations, mm -hmm. and so that's how I uh, got my lawyer fees and everything uh, paid. Yeah, because I don't have any means to pay, and the legalese wasn't there for me, and I knew that the legalese has to help me, but. I did not know was that once you previously took an employment, then you, uh, then there is no more uh, avenue to have a free legal aid. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. And Alice, talk yeah. to us about about the implications of of asylum policy 
and how the home office generally works. What 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 have you found that that process like? Um, initially, applying for asylum itself seems easy enough. You make an application, you put an application in. Uh, however, you start realizing that uh, there's the asylum system itself is flawed once you have had a refusal. Right. But for you to get a refusal, you would have gone through interviews and other various things that are put in place. This, I think there is a problem with the asylum system itself in terms of... In the way that it's structured. Definitely. The problem is that legal aid was withdrawn right so for you to actually get a positive outcome Mm -hmm. without any immigration legal or any legal support it's quite difficult yeah presumably when when you get a, a refusal decision of course there's there's grounds for you to appeal and so in order for you to appeal you need some form of legal advice because the way the, the system works is that the burden of, of proving that you require protection from Britain is on you. So, you see, it's only recently that I, I found that I've made uh, numerous uh, further submissions from the time I was refused asylum. Mm-hmm. In all these, I've had to do myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not legally qualified to make an application to the, you know, or to put a point of a legal point of view in any document mm. such that I can then argue on that. Mm. All the while I've, I've found from the time I applied to today, mm-hmm. I've never had a solicitor go with me to a tribunal. I've attended three tribunals. One was for asylum, the other two were for accommodation when my uh, support was cancelled. But in all this I've had to do that all by myself. So. It is quite difficult from a standpoint of not having any legal support to, in a system where you don't know much about what is actually going on. So it's like blundering in the dark because you're trying to argue with a you know with the government institution that the it that in itself is is actually trying to just avoid because most of um, asylum applications mm-hmm. are refused. Once the application is refused, you're then given the right of appeal. But the percentages of, um, of positive outcomes on those appeals is very limited. So if you're making applications on your own without a solicitor, you could find sometimes solicitors who will help you. But for those who have had support, solicitors will end up asking for fees because they, they will get to a point whereby they exhaust all means to to actually help you because they you know they are people who are working they are working people so they will need some money so it's restrictive in a sense that you can't fight a system when you've got no legal support when you've got no resources as well and Absolutely. You, you don't have the right to work either there's no right to work so it's 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 a whole the system is basically stacked against you you know the whole thing is structured in a in a way that you cannot win yeah, it takes a toll in the end in terms of mental health. You know, there, there's so much an individual can take. You know, there's a lot of things that end up happening. 
becoming homeless, for instance, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and coping day to day, you know, so it's, it, it is quite difficult. Yeah, Moses, talk, talk to us about how you've, how you've lived from day to day um, within the system where you were getting this five pounds and 39 pence and what it does to you as a human being. Well, as a human being, this has been the most dehumanizing situation I have ever been. I lived in Africa as a child. I didn't see running water. I didn't switch on the electrics. Mm -hmm. But life was nice until I got into that rebellion that came into around our villages and displaced us and I came to this country. And when I started living in this country, the only thing that came first to my mind was the fact that I met people who actually told me that do not waste your time with asylum system in this country because it's no longer working. So who who are these people who are who are telling you this? Is are these people who are from charities, the legal professions? These were the people who knew how they could have used me. These were the people who knew the benefits of having someone without papers around their hands. Right. So and it's, it's... the best thing they could have done with me was to have me with no papers around their hands and me feeling that they were helping me. So you're, you're suggesting here, and this is a, quite a very big accusation, that there, that there are people out there who, who actually seek out people who are in the asylum system and want to exploit them. That's right. And very right. True to my life, I did what they wanted me to do. I've cleaned, I've cooked, I've washed, I've built, I've cut grass, all for nothing, just to live on for the next day. So, I would request you go back to the original question because I have too much to say about the life I've lived in this country and it's painful for me to keep reminding myself as I talk. Mm. So it's, it's difficult for you to, to put across what it's really like to go through the asylum system and the amount of money that you're given in order to, to try and survive? The amount of the money you're given to live on just reminds me of the 2004 when I came to this country because it was in 2004 that I experienced that which I didn't know was modern slavery. Yeah. And because the five pound and thirty nine pence 
that I live on still sends me back to my exploitators. Mm. But I try to resist it because I'm not alone. But how many people do as I do? How many people can afford to go without a meal like I do? How many people can resist the exploitation? It is hard because, first of all, all asylum seekers are given the three pound, the five pound and thirty nine pence, no matter whether you are disabled, whether you need GP attention, whether you need frequent journeys to somewhere, this does not include your bus pass. This includes your food. If you're somebody who is looking at surviving. Mm -hmm. So there, there isn't any point when you're, you're within the asylum system and you're, you've made this claim where you actually physically hold pound notes and coins because you all you have is this card so you can't even jump on a bus you've got a card and if the shop says we do not take the card they don't take the card you walk it doesn't matter how many more miles you go to take mm. you got to reach to somewhere where they accept this card you're not allowed the cash we all know that as asylum seekers the reason we are not told. I don't know, but somewhere, somehow, who decided, whoever decided to say that, fair enough, but they don't know the implications of not being able to withdraw cash in England means. Mm -hmm. We've got different necessities, we go to different shops, and different shops have got different ways of taking their payments. Mm -hmm. So this alone is, I can be left with a pound in the card which I need to use. And I pay just for the bus to go for the next, to the next stage stop. But because of using that card where I cannot withdraw that one pound or use that one pound in the bus, mm -hmm. I cannot, I need to walk that distance. Right. It, so it sounds like a very, very traumatizing experience. And David, you've experienced um, having to be detained. Yes, I have. Yes. Uh, talk, talk to us about, about how the detention came about and, and what it was like within, within the detention estate. Well, uh, how I got into detention, because I was just following the rules, the mm -hmm. home office rules. Yeah. Because uh, one day I went for my monthly reporting. Yeah. And uh, on the day, they got me, uh, had me interviewed first. Yeah. At the back of their reporting place. Okay. And then they said they asked they asked me all sort of questions, like. Do I have any family ties in England? Yeah. Do I have any kids? Yeah. Do I have any civil partnerships? Mm -hmm. All these kind of things. Mm -hmm. Then obviously I did not have any of the things they asked me. So they decide to 
book me a flight the same day right and luckily i had a lawyer at the time right and they even took me to the airport and uh, but somehow with the lawyer's intervention mm-hmm. i did not have to uh, go back to my country right and instead i had i they put me on a detention and and what what is life like in in these detention centers because um all all that we know is is that you do do you share rooms and at some point you can have a single room what what is life like in there uh yeah it's <laughs> it's it's it's, uh, it's like you're living in a in a prison cell you know that's that's the best i could describe it like initially i got uh, a very small room mm-hmm. and there was a bunk bed that i could share with someone else okay and then two days after they transfer me to a different wing which is a little bit better okay but it's still there is uh, so many rules that i need to follow in order to be in that room mm-hmm. and uh, so were you were you are you ordinarily allowed to to get out of the room whenever you you want to get some fresh air uh yes we could we could do that but at six, uh about 7:30 to 8 we need to be back in our rooms at night okay so there's a curfew which yes. is a cut off point for you to go back to the rooms so yeah. is that is that until the next morning yes until the next morning okay because you get early dinner about 5 to 6 o'clock yeah and once you had your dinner you had to be until next morning 8 o'clock right is more than 14 hours okay. without food and there is nothing else in between and and what what are you what are you allowed to do in the in the detention center are you are there is there access to the internet are you able to phone people who are in the outside world or yeah if you if you got money like if somebody lends you money outside from outside then right. you can buy a phone card to okay. speak to right otherwise you you don't have any connection to the outside world right okay so what what were the circumstances that led to them releasing you uh my lawyer um my lawyer put up a new application okay. while I was in detention okay so that made them to release me right and uh, i believe they they were quite straightforward at the, at the time they were taking me to detention they want to send me back because mm. there was a ca- case pending there was a case pending but there they was still a case tried to they deport still, you yeah they still tried to deport me they forced me to because they that's why i believe they ask me all those ties whether i have them here right and because i did not have i don't have any close family or relative mm-hmm. in this country or or, or in europe mm-hmm. so there you go but all all that you wanted was this country to to protect you from the danger that you faced in your in your home country yeah that's that's the only reason because before i claimed asylum i was a happy student here because mm-hmm. i came here to study right and i did my study and i and i did uh, my my attendance was great 
and I did the qualification, I completed it. Yeah. But this happened the first year in my university. Right. And that's led me to claim asylum. Right. That's, that's the only reason. I, otherwise, I was really happy studying mm. and, uh, you know, and, and, and working as a part-time student mm. because I, I used to work mm. as a carer, which yeah. I really liked. Okay. Like an adult caring. Mm-hmm. And, but they treated me like, you know, like a, how, how best I could say, like a criminal. Yeah. Like a person who is, is danger to the general public because right. I'm not a criminal. I'm just, I'm seeking a sanctuary in this country. Right. Okay, so perhaps we we can move on to what do we think the government needs to do in order for the asylum system to work for everyone? Um, in my opinion, first, the government need to give asylum seekers the right to work, to be mm. able to support themselves. Mm giving people 35 pounds a week puts them in a position where they are vulnerable to exploitation besides that it allows um, the system to appear as if it's supporting you but at the same time it's putting a a lot of pressure because there's no provisions Mm -hmm. for a lot of needs that are required in terms of transport, in terms of medication, because th- there is a lot of things that are not provided. Mm-hmm. So for the system to work, I generally believe the right to work for asylum seekers. Do you, do you think, and this may be a difficult question, sure. do you think it's possible for anyone who comes to Britain and claims asylum from the beginning of the process until they reach the end of it, where, I mean, if you get refugee status, then that's the outcome that you want. But from the beginning of the process to the end, do you think it's possible for somebody to go through the whole process and come out at the end of it with their mental health intact? Um, that's a difficult question. However, um, I'm sure for some, they will come out of come out the other end feeling okay but the system is prolonged such that it takes a toll on you because look in my case i applied for asylum in 2004 Mm -hmm. we're here in 2020 talking Mm -hmm. about that Mm -hmm. so the problem is as time goes on the meaning of life, you know, we need a purpose as human beings mm-hmm. to live. Gradually, this feeling creeps in where you feel, you start asking what is the point of this? What is the point? There's no structure. Mm-hmm. There is no access to, you know, there's no access to basics. basics. There is no, you, you can't even, you know, you can't even feed yourself, you can't clothe yourself. 
mm. surely for any sane person that will gradually take a toll on on your mental health and you can't focus on the next day you just have to live for that day and you believe tomorrow will take care of, of yourself but in terms of coming into the asylum process and coming out at the other end it is it is quite difficult at some point you know it's the anxiety the paranoia mm-hmm. and um you, f- you 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 sort of live in fear as dinash was pointing out about detention you know it's um being detained it's you feel like you're, you, you the system cr- criminalizes you you know you you meant to look like a criminal because being detained without you committing a crime to me is a it amounts to you haven't b- committed a crime so why are you being detained especially because the the home office know where you live because look, you're you're reporting to the home office if they want to come and collect you they can come and get you in this case you know where you are picked up from reporting there was a time in my case where i did not report for over 2 years right i was in fear i was genuinely in fear of being deported back because this, the situation country. in Zimbabwe as everybody knows on the record is just Listen, deteriorated, and ju- deteriorated during that period yeah i didn't know where my brother was mm-hmm. so i was i was afraid and i told myself i would rather i did not report for 2 years and when i finally went back to report i was told that you didn't report for 2 years and i told them yeah i was afraid if i had come to report you would have deported me so it felt very punitive because I was um, there were some sanctions which were put in and I was told to stay at this and the problem is that the system is just structured in a way that you cannot unless if you've got legal support win. Mm. So Moses the former prime minister Theresa May is on the record saying that she wanted to create in this country a hostile environment from everything that you've said it seems to me that she succeeded so this new government um which says that it's it's got a a global outlook and wants to create a global britain i mean you come from uganda and Elisia comes from Zimbabwe which are former commonwealth countries what well, what is it what advice would you give to the policy makers about what they should do about this hostile environment thank you very much for the question and first of all i want to say Theresa May definitely succeeded she created a hostile environment today we still feel it though she's not in power we still feel that hostile environment she created mm. she's up up about it i don't you know anyone else up about it i don't you know but myself being someone from a commonwealth country and to many like my friend elisia it is absolutely one of those things you want to say to any any human being that look 
we are from the Commonwealth. We want the law to prevail and people to be treated as human beings. And now you create this hostile environment that does not create, I mean, treat people like human beings. I go back to living on five pounds and 39 pence a day. And then you start to think, where do we turn to if we are from the Commonwealth countries? What does the Commonwealth mean? Mm. I don't know if anyone else out there can explain to me what does the Commonwealth... Okay, we got the European Union. Mm. We got the Commonwealth. How do we share what is common about us? Mm. Because, I mean, Britain has a has a historical relationship with with the countries that you come from, so I think sometimes people would be naive in thinking that um, perhaps like Australia and New Zealand and Canada, who are from part of the Commonwealth, they there isn't quite the same visa regime that exists with the rest of the Commonwealth. So there, there may be something in that. Um, David, what, what, what are your reflections of, of having an asylum claim and in this COVID-19 environment? What, what has that been like for you? Have, you? have you got any sort of support? Uh, being in a situation like we're having right now in COVID-19, at the same time, your asylum seeker is really close so many options that you used to have. Mm -hmm. For example, being an asylum seeker, you don't have money. I mean, we don't get money at all, mm -hmm. other than five pounds 39. Mm -hmm. And before the lockdown, if you want to use the public library or to use internet there are free places that you could do it mm -hmm. to use the internet yeah but the lockdown happens so so and you've got no access to the internet or 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 to the just to you know be in public and just to free your mind yeah so it, it isolates you even more even more isolation yes that's yeah. true Okay, just so before we, we wrap up, I, I want each and every one of you to sort of give a suggestion about how much money would allow you to live a, a decent, dignified life. Because we know that there are a lot of people out there who are campaigning for asylum seekers to be given the right to work. And that would be ideal, but it's a, it's a very steep mountain in order to get to that point. So, Ellis, where, towards what ballpark figure? Uh, I won't be able to give you a, a figure, because um, the idea of having, having an, an increment on the current amount that's being given to mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. will meet a lot of opposition, you know, with the policymakers, yeah. in my opinion. So, 
there's a lot of basics that an individual needs in terms of, you know, transport, access to health mm-hmm. and such, you know, and, and the general well-being. So for us to keep debating about being given will allow those people who are opposed to the asylum system and those who believe we've got no right to -hmm. come and seek asylum. Mm -hmm. It will empower them in believing that, oh, we're losing money to this. So what you would advocate for is to be given the right to work? I am able. Mm -hmm. The right to work will allow me to be able to, therefore, find legal support, Mm -hmm. you know, and be able to support myself. Mm-hmm. Whilst I understand why the policymakers might want to give people such amounts, I generally believe they know it's not adequate. So okay. to perpetuate and keep having that line will only make the situation difficult. If there was a right to work, it mm-hmm. empowers, it absolutely takes people out of isolation and it it removes a lot of stigma because, mm-hmm. you know, th- there were situations when I had the card, you know, I, I remember a, situa- a time when I actually used this card. Afterwards, I, I started getting questions from the person who had served me. They were, so how come, what is this? I told them I didn't have to explain myself. Mm. You know, I didn't, have ex- I didn't have to explain, but obviously they knew more about it and, you know, with time, it's sort of dehuman. It dehumanizes you. So for me, the right to work is what I would advocate for. Right, and Moses. Well, what do you think if you had a policymaker? Um, Personally, I do not go very far from what Ellis is saying. Okay. Because I don't think there is a measure to what you can help an asylum seeker with. Mm-hmm. If the asylum seeker arrived in the country, mm-hmm. each one of them mm-hmm. comes bearing different gifts. Yeah. And their gifts, they come on carrying them on their bags, are different from which country. Even people of the same country come carrying different gifts with them. That is, their abilities. Mm-hmm. To allow them to work, will let them and their benefit. Mm-hmm. To allow them to work, will let either those who have not ability to work because they got disabilities or they are not able in a certain way, it allows the government of England or allows Great Britain, as I may say, mm-hmm. to assess correctly how to help each and individual person. Just you, allow you, them you to You think work. that that would create a fairer system? That is what I'm talking about. Right. It will create a fairer system because mm-hmm. some people can do, some people cannot do, and the mm-hmm. government will easily assess how to help each and every individual. Practically, mm-hmm. this is the only way forward I can see for them, but... For you to tell people that we're going to put you on a level measure of £5.39 mm-hmm. when you cannot even assess. I don't know who assesses who gets what. Mm-hmm. If who cannot walk, who can run, who can... I mean, 
I cannot speak about it. I'm sorry. Right. That's that's completely understandable. And and finally, David, what what do you think would make the asylum system work better? What is it that the government needs to do? Apart from what is obvious, increasing the amount of money that people are, are given every day in order to get food and to try and survive. Well, what do you think? Uh, personally, I advocate the same my colleague was talking about. Mm. We need to have, we need to be able to work and not depend on government handouts. Yeah. And what would be preferable would be a hand up and allowing you to work is a hand up. Yes, that would be that would be the ideal mm. for a future asylum claimants. Mm. And also if you think about if you if you don't if you're not allowed to work and you have to be in your house mm. 24 7 mm. it it gives it it create more trouble to your mental well-being yeah. because you are thinking the same thing over and over again mm -hmm. because your mind is not preoccupied mm -hmm. and this is where the most of the asylum seekers mental health in a bad bad place and I remember this this because this happened to me yeah and I know and I, I I've been through these things Mm -hmm. So, it's not a good place that you are, you, you cannot able to work because mm -hmm. uh, there are so many other things because you can, there are so many good things that these asylum seekers they have, mm -hmm. they are qualified, mm -hmm. they are qualified mm -hmm. and they are ready to uh, jump in and, you know, contribute to the local society mm -hmm. and to the community mm -hmm. and uh, so why not? Uh, take their contribution to the community in a in a way that that everyone empowering themselves rather than just uh, waiting for government uh, uh, handouts and things like this. Right. So that was uh, those were the reflections of three of our of our CARIG members, and I'm sure those of you who listened very carefully to what they've had to say today about the, the traumas and the bad experiences that they have of, of the current, of the asylum system as it currently exists, um, will want to go on our website on www.carag.co.uk Go on our social media, which is at Carrig Coventry on Twitter, on Facebook and on Instagram to go and read up about what Carrig as a community organization does in the community to try and empower migrants who come to this country for, for different reasons. Um, the asylum system as it exists clearly needs some reform. So on the next episode of Still We Rise, we'll be joined by the chair of CARAG, Lorraine Panella. I hope you can subscribe and like our pages and join us on the, on the next episode. <laughs>